We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A look ahead to conference championship weekend and particularly breaking down the 49ers and Eagles. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Final his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we talked about the Bengals and Chiefs quite a bit on our first show this week. You're a little bit concerned as a Chiefs fan about that matchup. That line has been all over the place. It opened with the Chiefs as favorites. It pretty quickly shrunk and then flipped to the Bengals being favored and we talked recently that some of the 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 points aren't as valuable as others this this game has never been three plus points on either side that I'm aware of and maybe I saw somewhere that it opened very briefly at minus three with the Chiefs and then shot right down to minus one but it's bouncing from like minus one to plus one or minus one to minus one on the other side which those points don't really matter. You can't have a tie in the playoffs. So, you know, the minus one and the minus one is kind of like they're, they're butting up against each other. You would never have a minus half a point is what I'm getting at. The Bengals did get to like minus two and a half very briefly. And then we got reports on Wednesday that Mahomes was feeling good, that he was practicing. We got video of him out on the practice field going through some warm-ups and some things. He sounded positive in his uh, conversation with the media. And the spread has flipped back now to minus one on the Chiefs. So one thing I'm interested to hear about, Sean, is if you've gotten less concerned about the Chiefs. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But today we were going to break down the NFC side. And we're really excited to talk about that. It's going to be a really fun matchup. I mean, I'm really, really excited about that game. But also before the show, before we get into any of that, you and I were talking a lot about Dynasty. We were talking about... Uh, the FFPC, having a bunch of uh, orphan teams for sale, and you were mentioning to me that a lot of them are in really good shape. We were looking through some of them. Um, so maybe we might be picking up an orphan team. Anyone who is looking to get into Dynasty, it's a you know a, a fun way to consider it. You can go over to FFPC, and you can look right through the rosters and the picks they have available, and some of them are discounted for you know the first year. and Maybe buy into uh, a dynasty league that is already built. I mean, obviously, a lot of the orphans aren't in perfect shape, but as you were telling me, and we were as we were looking at them, I, I think I agree. A lot of them are in better shape than you'd expect an orphan to be. I mean, they, they do look pretty fun. They have more teams than you would expect. Still have their first round picks 
for 2023. And that's one of the things where when you're starting up, I, a lot of people go into the startup and they will trade their first round pick more or less right away. But when you do that, you know, you're getting back a big piece to win now. So part of the fun of it is you're going you know, to win right away. An orphan team that is not set to win right away and doesn't have picks, those teams become less interesting. But a lot of the squads that have been thrown up here, some of them are discounted even with the fact they look pretty good and they have a 2023, you know, first, second, third in many cases. It's kind of gotten me fired up to grab some of these. Obviously, they have the regular format. They have the RV Triflex format. The Triflex leagues are maybe not as mature as some of the other ones if you're looking for a league that hasn't been around for enough years that maybe there are two or three teams that are just so good have consolidated so much of the high-end talent that they'd be difficult to beat in the short term the triflex leagues also just so much fun and that they have the super flex they have enough depth that you can play a lot of wide receivers if you want you can play a lot of running backs if you want because again they have this triflex setup that makes them so flexible to you know what you want to do as a fantasy manager so that part of it I don't know. I just, I'm excited. We know these teams have to sell before the FFPC opens up new startups, the startup season. That is probably the best time of the year. But if you want to take on a team and you want to get a challenge for yourself, but one to where you you don't have quite the same expectations. If you take over somebody else's team, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. You can practice some of the things that we talk about in terms of perpetually reloading, creating this permanent championship window. And when some of those things maybe don't work out for you, you don't have to blame everything on yourself because you took over an orphan. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying sign up for these orphans because you don't have accountability, but it does free you up to do some fun things. That's what I heard. Like you said, I, you know, we're, we're probably going to sign up for for one or two of these. These look, I mean, these look like teams you could take over and win with. That's the other part of it. You can make some money out of this, Ben. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through here, and there's like there's a $250 Rotovis Triflex one that has Burrow who I'm hearing is the greatest quarterback who ever played football uh, this week, which is, you know, exciting. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be the guy pouring gold water on Joe Burrow, but, like, can we not be so ridiculous about it? Anyway, it has Burrow, ETN, Godwin, Goddard, Ingram, and two first-round picks. Michael Thomas, some some other aging guys, Allen Robinson. I don't know if you're getting any value out of those guys. Chase Claypool. And it's, it's a $250 road of his league that's discounted to 180 for for year one. Like, just kind of flipping through it's like okay well if you got burrow and you have etn and you have mo- most of the veteran uh, the receivers are veterans but at least some viable receivers and a couple of good tight ends and two first round picks uh and, and the 203 as a second round pick early part of the second round i mean this looks like a fun team to, to take on right <laughs> like you, you could do a lot of fun stuff with that it does and one other little thing to note here about the ffpc format that i think is really cool i think all teams should have Ben, you and i did a dynasty episode in the middle of last summer actually talking about this but there is the you know toilet bowl slash constellation championship in these leagues where you actually play to win the 101 the 102 which means that you need to keep a team that's fairly solid in order to do that you're not going to tear it all the way down to nothing that means the leagues stay a little bit more competitive. You don't have these trades that are giving away three, four really valuable pieces just to get like one rebuilding guy back because then you don't win the one-on-one, which is one of the things you're trying to get when you're rebuilding. Number one, if you take over an orphan that is pretty good but not quite there, that positions you actually to win the one-on-one as opposed to win like the 106. 
The other thing is it just keeps the league more balanced. So again, you're not necessarily facing these juggernauts that you might face in other types of leagues. Yeah, definitely. So that's a fun thing to look at. I guess we just wanted to mention because obviously there's a lot to sell. Our, our, our friends over at the FFPC would definitely appreciate anyone willing to take those on, but also just because we were talking about it. We spent like an hour talking about it, Sean, before we jumped on. These are these are fun teams. We're literally looking through a bunch of them and trying to decide, you know, is this team good enough? Do we, do we want to go with it? And like you said, probably we'll wind up doing one of them. But let's jump into the the games. And I let's start with the Bengals and Chiefs because I want to talk to you about whether Mahomes practicing and talking has you a little bit less concerned. We did our first show this week, Monday. You were concerned about the Bengals. We talked through all their previous matchups. I've since seen a lot of stuff about them having lost to the Bengals three times. And I was kind of going through the game logs on the show last week. But the simplest way to put it is the Bengals have won two regular season games in Cincinnati on field goals as time expired to break ties. They did have the ball last. They did a good job of managing the clock and the kick game winners. And then the third one they won last year's AFC Conference Championship was the only one in Kansas City. They won that in overtime. There's a lot of ways we could say this. But like if, if you're winning up by a field goal in all three games and two of them are as time expires and one's in overtime – that's the one score stuff that we talk about in the Pythagorean, you know, wins totals every year. One score games are highly volatile. They're highly variable. These are two pretty match, evenly matched teams in all three of those games. We also broke down some of the stuff about the Chiefs having some turnover issues in some of those games late. Again, one or two key plays when you get into a good matchup between two good teams tends to decide them. And so the Bengals having won all three games against the Chiefs is getting all this pub. If one of those games goes the other way and the Bengals have only won two of those three games, it's almost a non-story, I feel like. People would be like, yeah, the Bengals have beat him a couple times. But it's just this fact that Mahomes hasn't beat Burrow yet that is is getting so much attention. I just I think that is being way overplayed. I think it's even been overplayed by the market a little bit. We've seen that swing now a little bit. I don't think that's the entire reason it swung. Obviously, Mahomes' health is the biggest reason that the the spread in this game has moved around. But now that the Chiefs are back to favor, the market seems to be buying back in. I'm curious. Uh, I, I guess let's start there. I'm curious about your thoughts as a, a Chiefs fan. Are you getting a little bit more comfortable here later in the week? I am. This has been a huge relief. You look at that injury when it happens last week and how limited he was, where he can't plant and throw off of it. He can't really make the handoffs. <laughs> he can't get out from under center and get out there to hand the ball to the running back. That's a quarterback who is going to be very limited in the game. It's Patrick Mahomes, so he'll still make some plays. He still made plays to win that game. But when you're talking about an evenly matched opponent like the Cincinnati Bengals, in most scenarios, then you lose because you're evenly matched. And a key component of what makes the Chiefs the Chiefs is not there. You hear that he wakes up on Monday surprisingly healthy in terms of how the ankle responded. You hear that he is able to practice on Wednesday, which I mean, I think most of us just sort of assume that, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to play without practicing. I mean, he's going to do everything humanly possible to get the swelling down for the game. There's not going to be any weight put on that ankle all week long. Everything is going to be pointed at the game. No, I mean, practicing on Wednesday? I mean, that seems insane. And then you hear that his response to the practice, that as he gets up Thursday, was also much better than anticipated. So I don't think that we're anywhere close to saying, okay, this isn't going to be a factor. He's healthy. It's not that. But I mean, he might now be close enough 
to what he normally is to make this an exciting game. And as you mentioned, I don't think that the fact that the Bengals have beaten the Chiefs three times means anything other than the Bengals are a good team. And that's where we are kind of down the stretch here. If they're going to face the Bengals or they're going to face the Bills, then you look to the Super Bowl. I mean, one of the things, if you're kind of an AFC fan or maybe your focus as a Chiefs fan or take it from the Bills or the Bengals perspective, you're trying to figure out who's going to get the number one seed. You're trying to figure out who's going to not have to play two games against the other juggernauts in order to make it to the Super Bowl. The thing that's happened the last couple of years is that the Chiefs were the best team two years ago, but injuries in the Super Bowl or injuries leading up to the Super Bowl mean that they not only lose, but get routed by the Buccaneers. Last season, again, probably the Bills or the Chiefs, the best team, but the Bengals come back upset where this just you know fits right into this history of collapses and debacles at Arrowhead Stadium in the playoffs. A history that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are in the process of trying to eradicate or flip and change them into you know, the next version of the New England Patriots instead. As opposed to having lost three times to the Bengals, that for me and as a Chiefs fan is the bigger story, the more compelling narrative. Can Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes change that? Can they make Arrowhead a place that you simply cannot win in the playoffs as opposed to like this graveyard for all of the Chiefs' greatest teams of all time? But the other part of it then is that the Bengals win that game last year and they go on, again, lose in the Super Bowl. If you're looking at this game and the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes limited and the Bengals have offensive line holes, it's almost like you're still staring at this worst case scenario where the winner of this game goes and then gets beaten up by a pretty strong Philadelphia Eagles team in the Super Bowl. But no, as a Chiefs fan, I mean, it's, it's very exciting because if you have a more or less healthy Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid calling plays. You have the Arrowhead crowd. You have the ability to create pressure due to those injuries. Now, the backups played very well for the Bengals last week. Maybe they will do that again. The play calling from Zach Taylor was fantastic. You have Jamar Chase, all of those things. But this does flip it back very, very mildly into the Chiefs' direction for me. And so I think that the line is probably correct. Yeah, it's a fun one. I love, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, especially fans of the Bengals that are listening, but a lot of people are wondering, like, why we're talking about this so much. I mean, a big reason that I think, for me, it's so interesting to break down the, the past history with the Bengals and the Chiefs and the way this is viewed going into the game is there are so many things in football, and it relates so heavily to fantasy football, where we rewrite history. We like to look at past outcomes as if they are the only way things could have played out, and then build new narratives based on what we saw and not be intellectually honest about what we thought going in. And the word you used about last year's conference championship was that it was an upset. The Chiefs were touchdown favorites in that game, and they played like it. They led throughout most of the game, and the Bengals were the, the plucky underdogs that came back and beat them. And it was, it was exciting. It was an incredible game. I love the Bengals. Like I, like I said, I don't like pouring cold water on it. We've drafted a ton of Burrow and Chase. We've been early on these guys. Higgins, last year we talked all year about how you had Higgins wearing, you know, absurdly high in your rankings. And again, this year, like this is a team, Sean, that you and I have both been very into for two years in a row in fantasy football. We've loved seeing how good they've been. We've been early on. We like them. But what we're seeing right now in the media and in discussions and I, I think some Bengals fans are like, put some respect on our name is like, 
yeah, I mean, you beat the Chiefs three times in a row, but like the both times last year, the Chiefs I'm looking right now, I think we're about four point favorites in Cincinnati in that regular season game last year. So that was also, you know, home team four point dogs, an upset for them to go ahead and win that one in the regular season. And then they were seven point dogs in Kansas City later, even though they had beaten them in the regular season. They won both those games, the Bengals. They won again this year in the regular season. The line now reflects respect that the Bengals have earned, and that puts the teams on equal footing. But we don't have to go act like the, the Bengals are the best team ever right now. I mean, I just I think that's putting unrealistic expectations on the Bengals, frankly. And if they win this game again, I almost can already feel like we're going to get questions or I'm going to get questions because I've been harping it in both of our shows of like, oh, are you going to respect the Bengals now? It's like, no, I've, I already respect the Bengals. I'm just going to continue to respect the Bengals. They're very good. And they're very capable of winning in Arrowhead. They, they proved that in last year's conference championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't need to rewrite the past. We don't need to rewrite the fact that their other wins were close wins, high variance games at the end that were upsets, that, that the Chiefs played from ahead. And um, in all three of those losses, another thing that I, I saw was Chiefs, uh, or I, I dug into and, and found out the Chiefs never trailed by more than four points in the second half or overtime. They end up losing by three in all three games. They're never even down by a touchdown at any point in the second half. It's not like the Chiefs ever played from behind. There was some back and forth nature. Um, and then their regular season game this year, the Bengals did get out to a first half lead. And that's the one game where the Chiefs did play a little bit from behind in the first half, but they scored late in the first half and they scored in their first drive in the second half. And they had turned a 14 to three deficit into a 17, 14 lead early in the third quarter. But I mean, these have been close games, essentially, right? But uh, we don't need to, you know, rewrite the past just based on the results of high variance, you know, end of game situations. Two great teams, a budding rivalry. It should be an incredible AFC championship. I'm I like you just described, so glad for football. You you described it from a Chiefs fans perspective. I for football that Patrick Mahomes seems pretty healthy and we're gonna get to see these teams a reasonably full strength now. Go at it. It should be an incredible AFC Championship. We talked more about it on the first show this week. The one we didn't get around to on the first show was the NFC Championship. And that one, to me, is even more intriguing, honestly. I mean, we've seen the Bengals and Chiefs play. We kind of know what to expect. I've been looking forward to a potential NFC Championship between the 49ers and Eagles for a couple of months, honestly, hoping we'd see them. Because I think they do things differently, but they've both found successes in a season where scoring has been down in similar ways. And that is by being dynamic, by being multiple, by having options in the ways that they run their offense and ways to attack defenses. A lot of the defenses that have sort of taken away the deep passing game, put more DB, DBs on the field and asked teams to run have created problems for some offenses, especially those that can't necessarily run effectively. And they really just want to beat you downfield. I mean, I guess if we could talk about like the chargers, for instance, Justin Herbert, big arm, it, a lot of defenses have helped to turn him into a low ADOT passer in games this year. And then also we see in their wild card loss how they get out ahead and they can't even necessarily run and, and, and run clock and do things effectively, sustain drives. That offense kind of got broken down by the ways that defenses are attacking them at times, not, not entirely. It's just an example. The Niners and Eagles are these offenses that have so many options. We've talked about the Niners, how they're – positionless skill players that the talent they have, they can put Debo in the backfield and Christian McCaffrey out wide and lose nothing. Debo's an elite running back. Christian McCaffrey's an elite wide receiver, basically. I mean, maybe not elite, but these guys can play those positions 
and they're not their natural positions. They can play them at an incredibly high level. They could be just starters at those positions probably in the NFL. They're that good. So they can move those guys around. Kittle can do different things at different depths. Ayuk can do different things at different depths that typically leave him downfield. But, I mean, Debo certainly can. He can be a downfield receiver, a short area, yak receiver, or a running back. But what they mostly are trying to do is build uh, a lot of different looks into their run game and then a lot of short passing with yak ability. They're not asking Party to do too much down the field, but that gives them a lot of options around the line of scrimmage, a lot of motion, a lot of misdirection with their line blocking one way and rollouts the other way and all this type of stuff. A lot of it's around the line of scrimmage, though. The Eagles are slightly different, but they are willing to get down the field in the matchups that, that suit that. They want to get vertical almost as a default. Our buddy Pat Corain, who we can't mention without mentioning one $2 million just a few weeks, you know, a month ago, he wrote a lot this year in, in his great walkthrough right up over at NBC and some of the matchups where teams aren't necessarily able to get pressure on the Eagles. Those are the weeks that you would expect them to be able to get downfield because that's what they want to do against certain defenses. The, the Niners, our defense, probably can get some pressure on them. But the Eagles have shown some weeks we can get downfield to A.J. Brown. We can beat you downfield. We can have our way with you down the field. Other weeks when you are able to get pressure on us and defend down the field better, we use Devonta Smith sometimes closer to the line of scrimmage. Obviously, he can attack at all depths. Dallas Goddard sometimes closer to the line of scrimmage. But then also a run game that's multiple, an ability to run with the running backs, but then also Jalen Hurts to pull and run outside. And Hurts' mobility, we've talked a lot about how quarterback mobility has helped offenses this year. It helps in the run game because it holds the you know the edge defenders and allows the running back to run in, inside, or he pulls it and runs. It also obviously helps in the pass game. If you defend downfield too much, you get in a man coverage, he can now scramble. It gives you options in the run game. It gives you options in the pass game. So they're a team that is, I think of as like an air yards and then QB mobility as as sort of the, the elements that they can add that are sort of unique that not every team's able to do. The Niners are this team that's I think of as a lot of options, but closer to the line of scrimmage. They're different in those ways and what their options are and what's available to them but they're both successful because they do so many different things successfully that if you stop one, they have answers in other ways. And I just, I think that's fascinating and it's going to be so fun to watch these teams against good defenses go head to head. And for all of those things that you mentioned, I mean, those are the reasons that we didn't really expect upsets this season. We expected four of the top five teams to make it. That's what happened. You have on the AFC side this quarterback battle with a lot of talent and perhaps underrated defenses. But on the NFC side, you have these schemes that are almost unstoppable because of the right variety that you just described and because of the talent that they have put out there as well to where you can't take away individual players. You'll simply spring a leak somewhere else. But then you have on the other side of it, not just good defenses, but ultra elite defenses, perhaps the two best defenses in the entire NFL. And you could very easily then argue that these two NFC teams are just flat out better. And that part, and you talk about this is the game you're most excited for, kind of underpinning all of this and the foundation for what worked in 2022 is this mobile quarterback. And in a sort of an understated way, that's also a big narrative in this game because of the injuries. 
Mobile quarterbacks were the entire key to moving the ball in the 2022 season, but they could not stay healthy. You have Lamar Jackson get injured, not be able to come back for the playoffs. You have Kyler Murray get injured, not be able to carry fantasy teams down the stretch. You have Jalen Hurts get injured, not be able to carry fantasy teams and to put the Eagles kind of back in that situation where they faced uh, you know, some difficult choices in week 18. He's supposedly not 100% right now, although obviously played quite well in the divisional round. And then with the 49ers, we kind of have like two separate things going on here where Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, has been really one of the biggest revelations at quarterback you know, this century. The poise and the things he's been able to do. And yet, kind of in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, I mean, what would Trey Lance have been able to do with this offense? It would have looked different, right? But he would have given them that Jalen Hurts element to where the things that they struggled with last week against the Cowboys, you would have yet another pathway. The another other answer. Right, yeah. another answer. It's a game of questions and answers. Where the defense is committing numbers, can you find, and like you said, spring a leak somewhere else, they would have had another answer. Lance would have had such a good year. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm just like, it's so obvious. When I look at this game and think, well, how do you win as the 49ers? I do think that because they obviously don't have the edge and it's not even particularly close at the QB position, which in so many ways is the position that's going to dictate what happens in the game. You just look back even to last week where Dak Prescott is the guy who makes the big mistakes in a close game between the Cowboys and the 49ers. You know, you have this rookie who is the guy who goes through, but you're going to face more difficult questions. You're going to face more pressure. You're going to face the potential need to come from behind and you're going to face that against this Eagles team that can score every possession and brings the NFL's best passing defense against you. If you had an answer in Trey Lance that wasn't through the air, that would help. One of the teams that really gave the Eagles trouble, and, and it's a apples and oranges kind of comparison because they didn't have Jalen Hurts that week. And this week, obviously they will. They probably score a lot more points. Maybe you can't beat them that way. But it wasn't that long ago that a very mediocre New Orleans Saints team came out and just ran the ball down their throats, used a lot of Alvin Kamara, used a lot of Taysom Hill, and limited the Eagles in that game to just 53 plays. If you're going to win this game as the 49ers, you probably have to have a game plan that accomplishes some of those things to where you have the ball. And the thing that you look at here is that the Eagles, for the full season, didn't have a great run defense. They gave up broken tackles on 9.9% of the plays. That's a bottom 10 number, just for context. But they added some players. They got a little bit healthier. They made some adjustments. In more recent weeks, they've limited players like Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, and... It's not clear that the 49ers are simply going to be able to run it right at them, especially if we have injuries to some of these dynamic players in the run game. So we look at Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, all of those guys missing some practice. It seems like it's mostly maintenance as opposed to a situation where those players won't play. But when you have maintenance at this time of the year, you know maybe you're 95%, maybe you're 85%. With Christian McCaffrey, it might even be a little bit more of a nightmare type of question of if you're in a close game late, if you're trailing late and he 
loses that many plays to Mitchell again because he simply can't go every play. I mean, you need Christian McCaffrey out there. That dual threat ability and his ability as a receiver. I mean, they deployed him almost exclusively as a receiver late in that game and used Mitchell as the runner. They have to control the ball. They have to be able to run it effectively. But these guys aren't 100% going into the NFC Championship game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think that's a a great key in the matchup to, to highlight. And as you noted, they the Eagles struggled against the run at times, um, particularly after their first-round pick, rookie Jordan Davis, got hurt. They eventually added both Linval jo- Joseph and Kong Sue, who are you know veterans, long, long-time good NFL D- interior D linemen um, that were just kind of free agents. They are both you know, still there and, and Jordan Davis is back healthy. So you have a lot of you know interior D line depth now relative, especially to that stretch when they had none of that. And, and those guys had just been signed off the street and maybe weren't really fully up to speed. But as you know, I mean, those guys were all, uh, I, I believe all active in that Saints game that you mentioned. And so they, they still had some problems. They're not perfect or anything. And yeah, I just confirmed, but Dominic Su, Linval Joseph, Jordan Davis did all play in that Saints game. Hurts obviously not available in that game. Maybe had something to do with the you know the way the the game played out in terms of the Eagles not really sustaining drives, only having eleven first downs and giving you know the the Saints the ball back more than they maybe otherwise would have. That gave the Saints more opportunities, etc. But certainly can be a problem, and we know that the the Forty ers it can be a strength if they're healthy. But as you noted, you know some injury report stuff. The other big similarity between these two teams, and that's going to be really interesting as we kind of you know think through that part of it, the run game. And I mean, they both have very good offensive lines, right? And so that's another part. I talked about how their offenses are both very multiple. They're both very multiple and they can also get 
to multiple layers of things on an individual plays or an individual schemes because their offensive lines are very, very good. I mean, two of the best offensive lines in the NFL. But they're both facing great defenses, as you said, really strong defenses. The the Eagles could have a, a, a little bit of a run defense weakness, but, I mean, this is a team that I believe was – they broke some record for the number of players that got double-digit sacks or what have you. I mean, they get a lot of pressure on the quarterback – uh, 49ers, obviously, incredible defense. We've talked about all year. The Eagles are great against the pass, a little bit worse against the run, as you noted. It will be interesting. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic this is going to be a higher-scoring game, but there is this concern that both of these teams can get pretty run-heavy, and you could see a very run-heavy game overall. But I, I, I guess I think both these offenses are so dynamic that we should see success one way or another, even if they do tend they you know, lean more towards the run. I just that uh, as as excited as I am about this game, that's one way. As you start talking about that, I'm like, man, this game could turn boring if if both teams are just trying to beat each other on the ground. And that might be part of it. I mean, that's you you talked about why that might be the way the Niners approach it. I talked a little bit about that why that might be the way the Eagles approach it when I referenced Pat's great work about how the teams that tend not to get a lot of pressure are when the Eagles then beat teams downfield. And then when they face teams that bring a lot of pressure, they tend to be more conservative around the line of scrimmage, more completions to uh, Goddard and, and Devonta Smith at lower A dots. And for whatever reason, they don't use AJ Brown as much around the line of scrimmage, which I think is silly because of his yak ability. But it, it is what it is. And then they also lean more on the run in those matchups. The Niners are a team that presents that type of matchup, so we could see a lot of running on both sides. But I think, I mean. There's so much talent in this game, too, is the other like big part of it where it's so hard for me to see. I mean, the Eagles, Brown, Smith, Goddard, Miles Sanders is an incredible runner. Jalen Hurts, obviously, an incredible runner. That's There's just so much depth with the ball in their hands, and then the Niners are even deeper, right? Depot, Kittle, Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey. You get down to Elijah Mitchell as, you know, they're basically their third rushing option, if you consider Debo a, a better rushing option. There are so many playmakers in this game. There's so much talent with the ball in their hands. There's so much depth there. It's something we talked about in the offseason, how teams are trying to get deeper on their skill position uh, groups. That was a big thing that the Chiefs were trying to do when they traded Tyreek Hill was to not just have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and like Byron Pringle as your third option to have more, you know, to have a fourth, fifth, sixth option. And they, they accomplished that this year. They don't have a clear second option behind Kelsey, but they did get contributions from a lot of other guys. I don't think they accomplished it to the, the, the degree that they intended to, right? But, I mean, they had a, enough contributors and going and getting Canarius Tony. It kind of made sense that they never really worked in the sky more, for example. But they, they had that as a backup. You know, if somebody gets hurt, he probably would have played more. They had options that they didn't have in past seasons at that fourth, fifth skill position spot. That's something that I think was a big focus for a lot of teams this offseason. Um, and we're seeing those teams that, that executed it effectively. And, and particularly, I think the Niners and the Eagles are the best examples. But, I mean, they have so many weapons. I'm, I'm, I'm dreading if it becomes a really run-heavy game because you just love to see all of these playmakers make plays in, these, in this game. The thing that could be pretty fun is that the 49ers have the ability – to make the Eagles one-dimensional, I believe. Now, the 49ers are also a very good pass defense. But 
you simply cannot run on them. That was one of the things, even as they got slaughtered in the second half, that was impressive, I thought, about the Seahawks game in the wild card round is that I mean, they hung in there for a while and Ken Walker actually did run somewhat effectively, but their overall run defense numbers are, are just pretty crazy, right? They only allowed 5.4% broken tackles this season. You look at them on a per game basis, just the, the total numbers they allowed down there at the very bottom slash top, however you want to look at it with the Titans, where they just don't give up rushing yards. And in some ways that could be good for the Eagles. It should be good for this game because I think all of us want to see Hertz air it out and hit AJ Brown, hit Devontae Smith, get Dallas Goddard involved. That part of it will be fun. And their pass defense is just that little bit exploitable. Still very, very good, but there's a stark contrast, I think, between the quality of the Philadelphia defense and the 49ers defense through the air. You mentioned the Philadelphia pass rush and how dynamic that was. They lead the NFL in sacks per game. They have five more last week against Daniel Jones. And then that also contributes to what they can do in coverage, right? They allow the lowest expected points added per play in the passing game and the lowest yards per cover snap of any team in the NFL. And just again, to kind of give some cover, some context there, I mean, they're at 5.4 yards per cover snap. The 49ers were 12th at a full yard more at 6.4, right? So both teams good, Philadelphia elite. That's one of the reasons why I think the 49ers will try and just make this game as easy as possible for Brock Purdy. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a decent amount of Wildcat even. It's one of the reasons, again, why if you had Trey Lance in there, could do some of those things, that would be interesting. You mentioned how they deploy these players and how they have so much talent. You go in and look at the passing matchup Raider on rotoviz and you can look at the alignments for these guys it's not just that they have the talent and that they have the flexibility overall with the offense but the stars in the passing game are used all over the formation left right out wide in the slot that's going to make it difficult for defenses you know for either of these two defenses to have specific ideas of how well i'm going to take this away in this direction now maybe they guess right and if you beat the opposing team in that early script I mean, that part of it will be interesting because these teams are so good and so well coached, have such dynamic and flexible offenses. The first, you know, 10 to 15 plays on both sides, I, this is the NFC championship game. So you're going to have to go out there and win right from the beginning. You give up an early touchdown. I mean, your win probability shifts a ton. Every play in this game is such high leverage, but I do think that because of the talent and because of the coaches, it becomes even more interesting from a, a narrative perspective as well. And as you're just watching this game, you're going to be on the edge of your seat the entire way. That 49ers pass defense, it was third in expected points added per play. But because you have to pass on them, you just you simply can't run against that defense. And, and maybe we'll see that those springs and leaks because, again, you have Jalen Hurts out there and immediately the rushing game came back. You got points from Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gainwell in the game last week. I mean, all three of those guys, though, I think could be eliminated. And then they can bring that pressure, ninth in pressure percentage. You and I built our playoff one team through Metcalf, the playoff two team through Lamb, especially the Lamb part, not controversial, of course. But both of those guys went out and did put up real numbers against this 49ers pass defense the Eagles a lot more talented than 
either one of those two teams. I, I think you've got to give the fairly solid, certainly not overwhelming, but the fairly solid edge here to the home team with the better quarterback who can beat you with these big play receivers. And then, I mean, Dallas Goddard, before the injury, he was more or less a tight end screen guy. They were getting him a lot of volume, but the A dot was, I wouldn't say catastrophic because it worked, but it was insanely low. You're like, how can, <laughs> how can he be targeted that close to the line of scrimmage? Once he came back more regular depth, I wouldn't be surprised though, if they have a number of screens in this game for him. In some ways that, is similar to what George Kittle's done for a long time, right? A lot of passes around the line of scrimmage that were like designed a lot of play action. He's leaking like uh, horizontally along the line of scrimmage, catches it with the ability to turn up the sideline and, and just there's room to run. There's yak ability. It's schemed yak. And they've, they, they've used him that way really effectively. But when I hear you talk about the wide receivers that have hit on the Niners so far, you're talking about, I mean, I think Lamb did some damage out of the slot, but mostly outside receivers. You're talking about DK Metcalf. You're saying AJ Brown's going to have 150 yards in this game is what I'm hearing. I, I do think it could be a big game for him. We want to see him. He hasn't been disappointing as of late over the last month of the season. He and Smith were both among the top five wide receivers. But if you look at their last seven combined games, seven more receptions for Devontae Smith, more touchdowns for Smith, more targets for Smith. Now, AJ Brown still has still has more receiving yards. He has 200 more air yards, right? You talk about the big plays. I mean, this is going to be like the week against the Steelers, right? Where AJ Brown goes out there, they throw the ball down the field to him. He catches the ball as he's got a defensive back draped all over him. The safety comes across, jumps on top as well, and he carries these guys into the end zone. I am... It's going to be an AJ Brown game, but I mean, Devontae Smith emerging as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. You said last how many games together? Seven. So the last seven weeks. Six weeks in the regular season, including some games with Gardner Minshew where they also dominated. And then so back to week the playoff game. Maybe 14. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to figure out where the cutoff is and why you chose. But you can move it some different some different weeks <laughs> yeah. in there. It doesn't it doesn't do a lot for I AJ assume Brown. if you Devontae move Smith it one has been week. that good. Yeah, I know, I know. Smith's been great. I assume if you move it one week, that it it makes uh, AJ Brown look a little bit better. But no, Smith. Well, has I take been... away a couple of his touchdowns if you move it move it a week. We don't want to do that. He had a two touchdown game seven weeks ago. Oh, there you go. So not not cherry picking too much there. Uh, yeah, no, Devonta Smith's been fantastic of late. You called Brown Antonio Gates at one point, and he's heard that and <laughs> been able to put up some big numbers since as well um obviously a, a lot visual because aj brown is so big you got a guy that big running that fast it, looks it a is bit different it's a little it's confusing no i mean again i mean this is why i get back to like i just hope this if, if this game's boring i'm going to be so so let down but like even if it is a, a big Devonta game and not a big AJ Brown game, I mean, both of these guys are so good. You want to see them performing. You want to. I, I took the over in this game over at Stealing Lines. Maybe it's just out of pure hope. I I, I do think because these offenses have have shown us um, an ability in a in a lower scoring season to have answers and continue to score at a high level. I mean, they're they are not the reason that scoring was down this year, right? The Eagles were second in the NFL. In points, I guess probably third in points per game, if you consider that the Bengals were not far behind them and played one fewer game. 
The Niners a little further down there, like sixth in points. But you go look at what they did late, especially after you know the McCaffrey trade. I, I've seen people highlight that as after Purdy took over as well. Their scoring has been really high. I, I think it's probably more to do with the McCaffrey trade. But they had they closed the season with thirty three or more points in five of their six final regular season games. They had forty one against Seattle in the first playoff game. Last week against Dallas, they only get the 19 points. Um, they had one game at Seattle down the stretch on a Thursday night where they only had 21. But other than that, you look at their last you know eight weeks or so, this is a team that has been an absolute juggernaut. They're scoring 30-plus every single game on, on a lot of different teams. A lot of those teams are not necessarily great defenses. They did have a little bit of a softer schedule in that stretch. But they, they have also – been one of the top scoring teams in the NFL, particularly if you look at this stretch where they are, what they are right now with Purdy under center with McCaffrey and with all their options, Debo missed some of that time, but Debo healthy. I mean, you look at that first wild card game last week against Dallas was a little bit of an anomaly related to, you know, the rest of their season, their lowest scoring games weeks one in that monsoon week three. I think that was Garoppolo's first start. They had 10 points in those games and losses. They haven't done anything like that for a long time, frankly, where they where they just flat out didn't score a lot of points. I, I mean, I, I guess where I'm at is, again, I go back to these offenses that are very multiple. We're, we're talking about it, and I, that's why I'm so excited about the game. I think it's going to be a high score. I, I think we are going to see these offenses have answers that are firing on all cylinders. I think, frankly, we're going to see that in the Chiefs-Bengals game as well. Sean, if either of these games go under this weekend, I'm going to be very annoyed. The under – typically the smart bet, but we should get all sorts of points this weekend, right? I think so. The, the 49ers do need to limit the number of plays in this game, and you could see enough accuracy from both quarterbacks that you just don't have those incomplete passes that stop the clock, all of that type of thing. But I would love to see a game that is a shootout that has a lot of plays. I think the Eagles, once they get ahead, which I do think will happen, they have a little bit of incentive there to then want to limit the plays from that point. But again, it's difficult to run against the 49ers, and you can become conservative in a way that blows the game. I, They're too good a team, and they're too well-coached, I think, to fall into that trap. If they can get Jalen Hurts out there on the edge to where he can pick up third downs for them, can extend drives, and then can get down so that he is as close to 100% as possible for the Super Bowl, obviously they will try that, but the 49ers will have answers to that too. I think these guys are going to have to attack through the year. I mean, Brandon Ayuk has to show up more than he has in the last month that the 49ers are going to win. The big-time players or the players who are on the verge or see themselves as big-time players, I mean, they've got to make plays. Yeah, this is uh, it's, it's a great point. It's not just the Eagles. It's obviously the Niners, too. Whichever team gets out to a lead, this is clearly a matchup of two teams that would love to then have eight-minute drives from that point forward. They would love to then exert their, you know, uh, impose their will, if, you know, as the saying goes, in the ground game and run the ball and and run the clock and keep things moving. That is one of the concerns in terms of the overall um, scoring and, the you know, picking the over and those types of things. Um, as you said, the, if the Eagles get ahead, they're, they're going to want to limit the plays. You already said the Niners are probably going to want to limit the plays from the, from the get-go. But if they are to get ahead, they're going to be the same way. They're going to get even more run-heavy there is going to be plenty of running in this game, um, but I, I still—I th- mean, there's going to be some passing. I still think there's enough dynamic playmakers 
we've seen the, the Niners in this 30-point-per-game stretch that I was talking about be run heavy and then have a couple explosive pass plays to George Kittle, for example. He had a couple of those two-touchdown games where it's like he only caught like four passes, but he scores two TDs. Um, we've seen it with, obviously, Debo having some explosive plays. We've seen it with the Eagles on their side, with, you know, A.J. Brown having the explosive plays and their run game. They're, you know, they can they can generate explosive plays in their run game. So a lot of answers still, even if it is a run-heavy game on both sides, even if both sides are trying to do that, where there's so much so much playmaking talent. I'm with you. I like the Eagles to win this. I think the two-and-a-half-point uh, spread is a little too close. I mean, obviously three is that massive, massively key number in, in sports betting. It could be a one or two point game, but typically, if you like the team, you're willing to take them at two point five because you're talking about most games being three points or more. So I do like the Eagles at you know minus two and a half, and I like them to to cover and win and go on. But you can obviously see scenarios where the Niners go in to Philadelphia and win this game as well, and and that's what's so uh, compelling, I think, about both of these games this week. Because you know, as at, for as much as I've talked about the Bengals, maybe not. Deserving to be favored is sort of the way that I would put it in Arrowhead. I mean, that's a big thing. You're, you're typically, obviously, the home field advantage, two and a half-ish points, uh, three points. And to have the Bengals be favored by a point or by two points, you're talking about a pretty pretty big shift off of that, that they are a significantly better team than the Chiefs. Also, obviously, talked about how the, you know those points aren't worth as much as you know some of the other points and when you're talking about spreads and, and all of that. But Bengals certainly can go into Kansas City and win. It's just a matter of should they be favored to do that uh, in terms of the way that I've been looking at it. But that should be a really good game. The Niners and the Eagles should be a really good game. Regardless of whichever teams win this, we're going to think that team looks great. It's a big reason why the Bengals are viewed so favorably right now is they just went into Buffalo and dominated the Bills. A week ago, they were six-point dogs, and the line was moving towards Buffalo because they didn't look great against Baltimore the week prior, and they had all the offensive line injuries. You go win that game in Buffalo, and and Joe Burrow proves that last year's run to the Super Bowl where he won two playoff road games against 12-win teams wasn't just a one fluky run. He just went and won a third road game against a 12-win team. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Joe Burrow has that QB trait of being able to – it's a competitiveness. It's an under, it's a football IQ thing where you get to plays that are the biggest plays in the game. And and some guys are just like, we have to have this and I'm going to be so locked in on this play. I'm going to get it for my team. Tom Brady has had it over the years. Obviously there's that, you know, that fourth quarter killer instinct, if you will. I absolutely believe that Burrow has something there that is, I mean, maybe the best in the league in terms of that particular trait. And so, I mean, he's going to he's gonna be competitive. This game, if it's close late, Burrow's going to make plays, right? And so you know that element's there. The point I was making, didn't the Bengals weren't, you know, look, looked at favorably coming out of that Baltimore game going into Buffalo. They're six-point dogs. A week later, they're now favored in Kansas City because that Bills game solidified for so many people. And then in, taken in conjunction with their playoff run last year, this is a team that probably plays up in the playoffs a little bit. Burrow's a quarterback that plays up in these big spots. And so, yeah, I mean, we should be very excited about Burrow and the Bengals. If they are to, able to go into Arrowhead and win, I mean, you'd, you'd want them to be favored in any Super Bowl. But the whatever team comes out of the NFC, 
if they win, you'd think they're going to be favored. And all these look-ahead lines for the Super Bowl are basically minus one either way because whatever team comes out of either of these games is going to have one over a really impressive opponent, and then we're going to have a great Super Bowl. So we have three more games left on on the on the NFL schedule. I'm, I'm just – as a fan, I, I mean, I was telling you, Sean, I woke up this morning and I thought it was the day of the conference championship game. Like It was like you know waking up as a kid and it's like the first day of school or something. I was out of whack for a minute in the morning where I was like, oh, we got the games on today. And then I was like, it's Thursday. <laughs> and I kind of did this yesterday morning where I've been kind of off this whole week where I'm ready for these games to get here. I'm ready for Sunday. These are going to be two great football games. And like I said, we'll have another one for the Super Bowl behind it. I mean, it should just be an incredible end of the NFL season. It should be. And I think that, I mean, the Bengals, as you mentioned, answered so many questions. And the the main one being, how would the offensive line play? As soon as you know the offensive line is going to play all right, then it just brings everything else that the Bengals have done back into perfect clarity as they go then to Arrowhead. The element that we discussed at length in the preview a week ago in terms of how they would face the Bills is how... Joe Burrow had evolved so much in terms of turning or being able to avoid pressures becoming sacks that the sack pressure number for him had plummeted. And that once, I mean, if you're not sacking Joe Burrow, you are not stopping the Bengals off. You're simply not stopping them. And if they can go into Arrowhead and do that, this should be a shootout. This should be a shootout in almost any scenario. I think that kind of the game within the game element of this and with less chance that a team gets ahead and can somehow just run the clock out. When you have the shootout, the sequences are going to be really interesting because and, and even the pregame coin toss is going to be interesting. We know that the Chiefs love to set their first half possessions up and how they even play defense as you go down the stretch of the first half so that they can end the first half scoring and get the second half kickoff and score again. And suddenly this team that you felt like you were overmatched by from the beginning has put up two touchdowns when you didn't even have a chance to get the ball yourself and you're done. The Bengals obviously will try to avoid that, but on the other side of it, winning the coin flip and deferring isn't some magical tactic that is guaranteed to work for you you have mentioned it multiple times in the Bills-Bengals matchup that got canceled what the Bengals were doing early. Then in the playoffs, they go into Buffalo and go score, punt, score to start the game. You have those 14 points right off the bat. And so whichever team gets the ball to start the game, I mean, there's already so much pressure. And we talked about that with the 49ers-Eagles as well. But if you get a score-stop score to start the Chiefs-Bengals game, suddenly everything now is on your side. The pressure to the other team is going to be immense throughout the game. You've got to have that mentality, and obviously they will, but to mitigate the advantage of getting the second half kickoff and perhaps being able to manipulate the possessions so that you get two in a row, you've got to come out with that first possession if you're the team with the ball first, and you have to score. If you can then follow it up with a stop, you're suddenly thinking to yourself, and we've got this game. I mean, I think that's a a great way of putting it. That that Bengals-Bills game, the way that started, I mean – Bengals get ball for score. Bills go three and out. 
I mean, that's going to happen at some time, right? And the Bengals go and score. It's 14 nothing. You've had three plays on offense. And it's it's impossible to not let that seep in. It was seeping into the broadcast. I, I remember they were putting up graphics that were like, this is the first time the Bills have been down 10 points all year. I think double-digit points all season. They had never been down, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just doing this completely off memory as you bring that up. But that that's a great point where it's it's hard for the Bills at that point in the game to, to focus on, hey, well, they had the ball first. We've only had one possession you're down 14 nothing. The scoreboard shows 14 nothing. It still matters, uh, I think, a little bit. And it might have been part of the reason they went three and out again on their second drive. And then, you know, they do get a stop. They get a touchdown back. They did get back in the game. But they never erased that deficit. And, I mean, it's not the only reason that the Bengals won or what have you. But it, I think it, it plays a role, certainly, if you're able to take ball first and score. Really, like you said, score twice, which the Bengals also did in that matchup at home against the Chiefs in the regular season this year. It was touchdown, field goal touchdown, but a 14-3 to lead, three possessions into the game. Your opponents only had one possession, and they're down double digits. That changes, I think, the psyche. The, you know, the, it, it changes the whole flow of the game. The Bengals, one of the best teams in the NFL doing that. I was just talking about Burrow being so good in the fourth quarter situations, but that's, a, I mean, that's another one where when he gets ball first, he's coming out in these big games, and he is attacking. You mentioned, all, obviously, the, the Bills game that got canceled. Same thing. First drive, touchdown, right? And then they gave up the field goal, and they were driving again. The game ends up, obviously, getting canceled. Um, but that's three times the Bengals have done this against uh, the Chiefs in the regular season in that canceled game against the Bills, and then last week against the Bills, taken ball and gone down and gotten seven right away. And then in the two games that they finished their second drive, they got seven again. And, I mean, that – you can do that right away, like you just described. I mean, that's going to change the way the game – at that point, when you're the team that didn't have ball first, you're thinking, we want to cut into this lead before halftime and we get ball at half. And that's sort of a defeatist mentality already. But you're like, man, I'd like to get to a three-point game before half and then we'll get ball first. It's challenging to, to be down that big that early. It is. Just every play in these two – conference championship games should be absolutely fantastic you don't get this every year in the nfl we are getting it in 2022 slash three we're fired up for it we also have a lot of ffpc playoff contest teams that are in the mix as do i know many listeners so if you're playing there that adds another layer to it then you may need to uh take some beta blockers or, or whatnot to stay calm throughout this. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to get through Sunday. I'm going to be so jacked up. It just, and again, I don't even have a ton on it as a fan or anything. I just, I'm a fan of the NFL. This is going to be, I think a memorable, a memorable uh, weekend conference championship weekend. I, I, we talked last show about underdogs and this and that, but I mean, this was a year where we needed to get, four of the best teams in the final four. And we did. These are the matchups that, you know, it's a bummer that the bills can't fit in here somehow as well. Cause they, they belong, uh, but obviously there's only four teams left and, and four of the best teams are there. The bank, I mean, we already had that matchup last week and the Bengals won convincingly, but the Bengals chiefs, Niners, Eagles, all of them very deserving of being here. All of them very deserving champions. Eventually one of those four will be crowned and it'll be, it'll be like this team totally deserved it. And a great story. And, you know, and so anyway, it's like, how can you not just be excited about it as a football fan? I am, I am getting a little bit uh, 
over the top with it, I, I realize, Sean. But I mean, it's it's a uh, it's going to be an incredible, incredible finish to the NFL season, and we got a lot more to talk about as well. You know, starting next week, uh, I'm sure we'll jump into. You know, we can start talking about early drafting. We can start talking about the biggest lessons from 2022. Obviously, we're already talking a little bit about, you know, taking over an orphan dynasty team. There's so many dynasty questions and things we can hit on. A lot of fun stuff to come. It would be fun, Sean, to do a to an early best ball draft maybe next week. Maybe we'll do something like that. But uh, for now, I'm just really keyed into this playoffs because, uh, again, I've said it like 15 times, but it's going to be a great weekend. Yeah, I can't wait for the early drafts we have. Never too early. Regular best ball tournament over at the FFPC. Never too early. Super flex tournament. Both of those formats are fantastic. You and I will be jumping into those. I can't wait. But until then, that's going to do it for today's episode of Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. As Ben talked through some of the different betting elements on the show today, some of the different matchup pieces, how all of that works. I mean, it's a perfect time to get over there and get your subscription to Stealing Lines. Lots of great stuff from Ben, lots of great stuff from Dalton Cates. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. I mentioned the Advanced Team Stat Explorer and the Passing Matchup Raider. We have the game level similarity projections. Other great stuff for you. You can use the coupon code RVRADIO2023 at checkout for a 10% discount on a one year subscription. Then we get so many great comments. We appreciate those. All of those help us when you leave them in your rating and review on Apple and elsewhere. Helps us with the algorithm. Comments on YouTube. Subscribe to the feed as you and I kind of figure out you know, when we're going to be able to record and post over the next couple of months. You'll get them without delay when you're a subscriber. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.